If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Literally Hey, it's Bao. And I'm Chris. And we're here with another episode of Literally Gaysians, a podcast where two gay Asian guys are simply Gaysians. Gaysians. Get real about their feelings and literally Gaysian shit. We have a guest waiting in the wings. Um, but before we get to that, what's up, Chris? What have you been up to? Well, I've been recovering from a very busy weekend. Uh, you know, everyone's saying how San Francisco's so dead, but you wouldn't know that if you went to a queer party. They are coming out in full force. Like a dozen party promoters got together and threw the largest super party um it was intense it was fun and i'm also uh finally digging deeper into unpacking everyone knows i'm unemployed and moved but i kept running into these roadblocks which is my euphemism for my executive dysfunction and laziness but i'm enjoying this excitement i'm having and i'm trying to appreciate my new uh home that is kind of falling apart but i like it what about you what have you been up to I went out this weekend and went to the party called Pegasus. And if listeners remember, that's the the place where I went to the dark room and it took the person I was hooking up with five minutes to get out of their um, complicated non-binary top. <laughs> but we went to Pegasus and got in the Uber, got in the line, and then it got shut down by police. Oh my God. Yeah, it's like... At this, you know, I think I always thought like if this place isn't quote unquote underground party with a secret location, the secret location is the same location every week. Like how underground really is it? Like they must be just paying off the cops or something, or they're figuring out a way to have so this, this is party. Not a sanctioned party or whatever. No, they call it. no, but I feel like they say that, and it's just like really like actually because it's always in the same place every time it got shut down by police. I didn't get in, but my friends were in there, and it said like at some point like the music just stopped. And people were just kind of waiting around like an hour to see if like they would reopen it. And police helicopters were actually <gasps> circling the party <laughs> saying like, go home. <laughs> the party is over. <laughs> the gays ain't going to leave. Oh my God. That's so good. So then what did you do? We went, we went back home. And we're like, whatever, let's just call it like out of our control. Then they sent an email. Like we moved it to this club called Sound, which is like the greatest name for a club. I feel like Sound. <laughs> and so we went there and it was fun because the headlining DJ was the Blessed Madonna. <gasps> they were just so, here too. Yeah. So it was really exciting. One of the biggest names to be at Pegasus. She actually tweeted, what the hell with these helicopters? Is this like the war on poppers? And I just thought the idea <laughs> <laughs> the war on poppers was just so funny because it'll be a very violent war if they started this war on poppers. But we're going to have to wait to see whether that pans out because we have a guest waiting in the wings. And why don't you introduce her, Chris? Because um, okay. you met her first. My favorite thing about doing this podcast is we get to invite all of our friends. But what I'm really saying is we have really cool friends. Um, <laughs> we have yet another one of my drag sisters uh, this week. I met her more than a decade ago, I think. And mm -hmm. she eventually joined our drag house, the Rice Rockettes. She's received global attention last year that put her at the center of a drag band debate. We'll get more into that. And I'd like to please welcome my drag sister, 
artist and writer Panda Dulce, also known as Kyle Chu. Yay, welcome Kyle, welcome Panda. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm Popper. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm Popper's Dulce. I'm Panda Dulce. <laughs> uh, also known as Popper's Dulce, the face of the culture war against Poppers. <laughs> and how should we refer to you as Kyle, Panda, Poppers? Um, you can pre- refer to me as Panda or Poppers, either spine. <laughs> I think I'm going to start calling you Poppers from now on. Um, but Panda Dulce is your drag name. Um, What's the meaning behind that? Like, what's the story behind the name Panda Dulce? So there's like three or four different stories, I feel like. Um, One of them is that I'm simply like an Asian bear who lives in the mission. So it's like Panda (laughs) and Panda Dulce. Um, And spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time here growing up. Uh, The other one is like, I'm like a nice queen. And I feel like that's kind of (laughs) rare. Uh, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that was one um, of your character traits. (laughs) No, it totally is bitch. Um, and the other one is that I just really like sweets. I don't know. I'm all about donuts and shit. Cause I'm like mostly sober these days. And so like my only vice now is like food. So Panda, my clown like sister, do you remember how we met? Okay. I think well, okay, so I knew of you before I met you because I was interning at the API Wellness Center in the Tenderloin, and I was, like, mm. a fresh-faced graduate, like, of ethnic studies, and so I was, like, fist in the air all about, like, Asian American 101, like, perpetual foreigner stereotype, like, and I, like, threw myself into, like, every single, like, Asian American thing I could, including API Wellness Center, and the Rice Records performed at the center... And Este and Chi-Chi were talking about you, but I hadn't met you yet. Um, and then the first time I actually met you in person was at CamFest, I think? Like 2010 or 2009 or something? Because y'all backed me up in like one of my first drag performances. Yeah. Right? Weren't you Mr. Hyphen? Yeah, I was in 2010 for Cam. Oh, that's so cute. I remember that. It was so exciting. That was the first time I drew dolphins as eyebrows. And you yes. did drag for what, the first or second time? Yeah, I mean, like, in high school, like, I grew up in San Francisco, so, like, drag was, like, around, you know? And it wasn't as, like, inaccessible as it might be for other people who might not have access to those resources or, like, representations. Mm-hmm. But, like, so I did, like, booger drag in high school where I just, like, put on, like, a little eyeliner and lipstick and was like, I'm a woman. But, like... <laughs> That was, like, the beginning of me, like, starting to see it as, like, a real art form instead of just, like, being a trash human doll. It can be both. Both can be true. It's true. Por que no los dos? Trash human dolls don't just drag art, so it can be both. <laughs> it's true. Sure. That's one of our sisters. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Someone farted and we both came out. We were the turds. So it's this idea of human art. Like, what about drag drew you to it as an art form? I came into drag through punk and, like, punk music around the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Like, I went to an arts high school here and played the saxophone and studied saxophone there and, like, was in this punk band that toured. And, like, that shock value ethos was just, like, really aligned with drag. And so, like, some of my first looks was, like, dressing up as, like, a bondage Pikachu and just, like, this, like, random cosplay um mm-hmm. and then you know we were like a poorly funded public school and so like i did a lot of fundraisers and drag and like performed saxophone and drag for cabaret and like it just always felt really natural to me like it didn't feel so foreign it just felt like you know i'm putting on a dress and like this is just another version of me and so like it always just felt like like a familiar avenue of expression as opposed to this like brand new enterprise that like you know people step into i guess we ever in at the band as in drag like was it a drag band yeah totally oh. um i was in this band called abby yo-yos which is like a hardcore band and hardcore is kind of like a fast version of punk like it's like i don't know like it's just like very up-tempo and like very aggressive and like the songs are usually like 30 seconds to a minute maybe um and so like <laughs> I was in that band and like so many punk artists who have a saxophone are just like, just like go crazy, just like noodle. And so like for a lot of the songs, I was just like, and I was just like in a dress. Um, But there's this venue called 924 Gilman in Oakland, Berkeley. I think it's Berkeley. Um, And it's like an all ages punk venue. And so we played punk prom there and drag and bleed singers also in drag. And 
Yeah, it was just a big draggy time. How old were you when this happened? I think I joined when I was 15 or 16. And then... Dang. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then when I was 18, um, I was old enough to like go off on my own, and so we went on a U.S. tour. And it was interesting because, tour. like... Wow. Yeah, so it was like, we went counterclockwise around the u.s so like down south first through the through the south like up the east coast we like slept in virginia beach we like squatted in a house in florida and like got in fights with white supremacists like it was like kind of a wild time (laughs) but i think like it was interesting because i moved through the space a lot differently because like everyone in the band was a white dude it was like a straight all straight white dudes And at the Mm. time, like, I didn't have a very, like, developed racial sense. And so, like, I still thought that, like, wanting to be white or striving striving to be white and, like, a white liberal and, like, having Tibetan prayer flags, like, in your room was, like, how to be alternative and, like, how to express your Americanness. And I always Mm -hmm. felt, like, really... It was an amazing time. And at the same time, it was complicated because I was the only queer person. I was the only, like, visibly person of color. And so, like we would go through these spaces and they could like be assholes and like literally take a shit on someone's yard, put a firework in it and blow it up just to be an asshole. And like nobody, nothing would happen because they were mm-hmm. white dudes. Right. And so like, I got to experience this like temporal invincibility and like, they were my friends at the same time. And they were all like in their twenties. Like when I was like 16, 17, 18. And so I looked up to them, but like, I think after that and when i went to college and i like learned about all this stuff and about like you know like critical race theory and all this stuff like it definitely gave me a different lens and i don't know i'm rambling at this point but it was an interesting and that's when you went on your solo career <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i still you know shit in shit in yards when i shouldn't i mean some people would argue asian people or asian americans do get some temporal invincibility too like that's true they- kind of blend in as the goody two shoes um, right. of American society. And so we can like kind of fuck stuff shit up and not really get in trouble where they don't suspect us as much. Mm-hmm. That's right. from the because time people... when we're all still trying to dive into our model minorityness. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like that definitely comes with its own like privileges and like gains and losses of navigating certain spaces, especially like if people associate us with the proximity to whiteness. Um, yeah. So yeah. Very interesting stuff. And I think it's funny because this is around the same time. Don't show that I think you did Miss Kappa. Or you did your, like, plastic bag look. The iconic. So, like, so good. Yeah, it sounds like we all kind of grew into ourselves around the same time. I'm going to do a little bit of a pivot from drag bands to drag bands. (laughs) So, (laughs) the music kind to the horrible debate that's going on in our country. Because... Your drag career and activism reaches much further than the Rice Rockettes. You also co-founded Drag Queen Story Hour a couple years ago in 2017. And if you literally read the headlines these days, Drag Queen Story Hour has become the target of a lot of lawmakers. And last year, um, actually, threw you into the center of that drag ban debate. Um, and before we get into that, just so everyone understands, get, gets an idea of Drag Queen Story Hour. Um, you know, what inspired you to, to found that with other people and, and what exactly happens at like a drag queen story hour? Drag story hour was founded by Michelle T who's like a renowned SF local celebrity who relocated to LA, but um, she's like a queer punk mom and she had a baby with her partner and she went to um, a new parenting group and Loved the programming, but was like, this is not very queer affirming. It's very heteronormative. It's like very gender reveal vibes. And so she wanted Mm -hmm. to create more queer affirming and accepting programming for mothers and like families in particular. And I think this was really revolutionary because historically, like so much of queer community convening and like so many of the ways that we've organized has been around nightlife because like we literally had to hide in the shadows, right? Like we literally had to go to bars and we had to don mustaches so we could identify each other in public, like in plain sight. We adopted like Polari, like secret slang and language to be like, you want to fuck, right? (laughs) Because it was, it used to be outlawed, it used to be banned. Um, And I think it's 
high time for us to evolve from that and to accommodate other stages of our lives, right? Like when we make families, when we get a little older or like don't want to participate in the club scene in the same way that we did. And like as a sober queen, like it's something that I really appreciate. And like as a drag grandma, like I don't stay out late like that often. And so it's kind of nice to like go to these spaces and like be silly with a book and like interact with kids. I think in the first reading was like in 2015. Then in 2017, they wanted to expand the program to include other queens of color. And so they were looking specifically for queens that had youth work experience. And like the Venn diagram overlap of that is very small because like so many drag queens are into nightlife and they're like douche with champagne and drink it on stage. And it's like, that's the vibe. And it's very like, bar humor, you know? like I'm like, I'm sure the right would love for us to do that on video so they could like use it against us. And like, but like, it's a very specific skill set because you can't just like make titty jokes. Like you can't just like Christy and Cucciello for it. So, <laughs> um, so I was one of the queens in the area who had youth work experience. Um, I'm a social worker. I have 10 plus years of experience working in the classroom and I did it and I really loved it because I wasn't after graduating with a social work degree, like I wasn't able to find work that could sustain myself in the city and what I really wanted to do was to work in schools and work with queer youth. And that just wasn't a possibility, like, financially. And so this, like, allowed me to do that. And at the same time, so many queer and trans educators, like, are confronted with this professional quandary. Like, am am I permitted and should I be open about my queer or trans identity at work? Not so much because, like, oh, it might affect the kids. Like, of course, we want to expose them to the diversity of our world as it exists, right? But more so for the parents. Like, what if they have conservative parents and even if their child is queer, like, they they want, like, a very, like, fascist sort of, like, institutionalization of, like, heterosexual icons and they don't want them exposed to anything different. And with Drag Story Hour, it's like, why wouldn't you bring your queer and trans self to work? Like, why wouldn't you bring this to your youth work and how you engage with people? Like, it's a part of you. You shouldn't hold back. Like, you shouldn't closet yourself because of other people's small comfort zones. So ideologically, and because it's just fun, like, I really like the program and, and kept with it. Um, and to answer your question about what happens, literally, they come to the library we sing a song, like sometimes mm-hmm. I sing them like a Robin song on ukulele. And then I read um, a bunch of books. Yeah. Call your squirrel friend. <laughs> I <love that>. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, re- I did colors of the wind once and it's actually really deep. Like looking back, like it holds up girl. <laughs> but yeah. And you just read them a couple stories. You do face paints or a craft and that's it. And it's funny because like the way that this conversation the national conversation and the culture war over drag story hour and like should queer people be allowed to publicly exist in general like this whole debate like has distorted that simple event so profoundly Mm -hmm. like there are people who've hit me up who are like i can't believe that you that you strip in front of babies and have them like shower you in one dollar bills and i was like what (laughs) like where did you get this idea (laughs) like if all that happened Yeah. And I'm just like, you realize that the parents are like present the entire time. And like, I don't know. It's just so fucking bananas. And don't you and I are definitely the nightlife people. We're not the stay at home gays. Um, So I really appreciate that um, they're carving a space for people who have experience working with youth. Like I have friends with babies um, or toddlers. And when they ask, like, just please read them a a bedtime story. The first time I did it, I was terrible at it. And (laughs) My my uh, my friend's daughter was like, Uncle Bao's boring at this. <laughs> because you can't just simply read it. I was like, yeah, the pig went to the park and then it's looking for its soup. And so you can't, you have to be like, oh, the little piggy. This is the little piggy. Then it walks to the park and I, and I just did not have that like animation. You have to like really go get into it. And I realized there's a specific talent and I just felt really down on myself after (laughs) my friend's daughter was just like, uncle bout is really boring (laughs) at reading this. And she was not having it. She wanted her mom to take it back over and so boring that it made her mad and not sleepy. And so I can just imagine like, just the, she stayed up for longer. 
I know she's, she's like she stayed up with anger at the fact that I was just really shitty at doing this. So I can really appreciate it. That's why we need more people like you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for accepting me, even though I'm not a nightlife bitch. But then last year in June 2022, you showed up to a drag queen hour that you thought would just be, you know, any regular one, but it was interrupted. What happened? So I recently decided, and I knew that this podcast episode was coming up that this is going to be the last time I talk about it because I realize it like brings up things for me every time. Um, mm, thank you. But thank you for yeah, of course that. it's an important one. Um, so I got an inquiry through race rockets actually trying to get in touch with me and it was from San Lorenzo and it was kind of like a pleading message saying like, you know, we don't have a lot of queer representation out here, but there are families who want programming to affirm them at our local public library. And so we're wondering if you would make the trek out here, like we could cover transportation, et cetera. Um, we've had protesters before, but you know, nothing serious. If you could just come read a couple stories, maybe do a number, that'd be great. And I was like, yeah, of course. And so the plan was that day, uh, June 11th, my mom's birthday, um, that I would go do the reading and I was dressed up in like SF Giants gear, like an ABG. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I was going to meet up with Siam and Joshua at the Pride game, the Giants game. And we were going to do like a Giants photo shoot. And it was going to be fun. Um, and so I showed up there. Everything went as normal. We started the welcome song. And then eight to ten far-right extremists came into the community room with their cameras outstretched, like focused on me, trained on me. Um, they had bandanas over their faces. They had the Proud Boys insignia and colors, black and yellow, all over their shirts. And they took a seat behind the parents and children. And I think I recognized immediately who they were because I'd been reading about them. But the parents and the kids had no idea what was happening yet. And right before I started my first book, they just started yelling. And they were like, I have a question for the tranny. Like, who brought this tranny? Um, who brought it? Like this faggot degenerate, like, are you going to bring your children directly to a pedophile? Like, why are you doing this? And they started immediately accosting and hostily arguing mm-hmm. with the parents, with the librarians. Um, it started to escalate. The security guard came and I realized that it wasn't helping anything for me to still be there. And I was the source of the escalation because they had all of their ire pointed at me. And so I left the room and went to the back and they continued to hurl insults at me. They're saying like, you're not safe here. We're going to find you. Um, so I locked myself in the back and it took a while for the librarians to call the authorities and for them to come. And when the authorities came, they didn't cite any of them. They didn't get any of their names. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. and somebody present on the scene who is not comfortable being publicized heard the cops sympathizing with the Proud Boys and saying, you know, um, it's not that I don't share the same views, boys. It's just that, you know, I have to do this. It's my job. And it was a very like Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus situation where it's like, they absolutely knew each other and they absolutely were condoning of this violence and like that's why they didn't take any action against them on site and so it's one thing to like be thrust into this fight flight freeze state because Mm -hmm. there's like this immediate terror of like eight to ten people who have extremist racist transphobic homophobic views like sitting 10 feet away from you and it's another thing that when your heroes come they are siding with them you know it's like a profound kind of hopelessness and fear. It's a new kind of fear that none of those people will ever have to experience in their life. And so I had to call my partner and he drove over and I asked him to bring boy clothes. And so he brought boy clothes and I went into the bathroom and I had to scrub everything off. And I put all of my drag into a big garbage bag and I had to put on my boy clothes again and just walk out like nothing happened because I didn't know if they were still hiding. And we circled the block to make sure we weren't being followed. And then we left. But 
I think the scariest part wasn't even the incident. It was everything that followed. It was mm-hmm. like, it was like the, the waves of like gushing praise from strangers and at the same time, death threats and like homophobic and transphobic comments. It was like people coming to my page to like argue that I should go to hell. And like my friends, like rushing to my defense, like people calling me to say like, if you ever need anything, I'm here. Cause they don't know what else to say. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just like the fight or flight I was in for like maybe a week or two weeks after I like wasn't able to do anything. Like I was in bed and I couldn't bring myself to make food. And like Siam came over and like gave me a massage and like cooked me some food and like people organized meal trains. And like that really helped me a lot, but I like had to act because it was getting covered all over the news. And every time I talked about it, it would trigger me. And so I basically had to immediately scrub my online presence. I like bought a bunch of weapons on Amazon. Like I have a stun gun now. <laughs> like I got gun trained. Like, and so I know that like in our world and like the way that we consume news and media, like the cycle is so fast. And it's just like it's sticking with me and it's still stuck with me. And mm-hmm. I just did this gig with Manila, like at Rise a couple nights ago and even getting ready for that day like i was i was getting irritable and freaked out and i didn't know why and it's because it's coming up on the anniversary mm-hmm. and like every time i get in drag now like it doesn't just feel joyous and like light and fun and frivolous anymore it like there's like kind of this dread that haunts it and mm-hmm. it sucks because that's exactly what they wanted and they wanted to freak me out so I wouldn't do it anymore. But I think the important takeaway is like, I'm not letting that happen. Like I'm not going to let them have the satisfaction of knowing that they made me stop drag. Like I'm still fucking doing it. And also the day at the library, like after they left before my partner came, like I went back and I finished the reading because Mm -hmm. I didn't want, them to think that they successfully thwarted our programming for just causing a tantrum. So I don't know. That's like the bit of resilience I hold on to and mm-hmm. that I hope people take away. Um, I must admit just hearing the story from you, just I feel really speechless. And I guess if I did have words, I just want to say thank you for, for sharing it here. And I know, yeah, I wanted to ask you right before if you were open to doing it. Um, because I did read that you, every time you tell this story, you kind of relive it. Yeah. Again. So, I mean, I, I appreciate it. And I guess if I wanted to ask another question, because it's it'd be helpful to hear after a traumatic incident like that, what has your journey your journey healing been like? I appreciate you thinking of that by the way. Thank you. Um, I think it's different talking to y'all because y'all are my friends. Like y'all aren't just like random reporters trying to like, I don't know, leech information or vulture, like the story for like clicks or whatever. But um, it's been like up and down. I think last year was like, sorry to get like really real about this, but like last year was like one of the most terrible years of my life. Like not just because of that, but like, my grandpa passed and like it'd been a long time coming and it was just like he like left this note that was a lot and then right after the incident like my partner broke up with me and he was like he like decided to stay with this like other guy that he'd been sleeping with because we were like in an open relationship (laughs) and so it was just like like all the support systems i had were just like crashing down and like i think for a really long time and like y'all know this about me because you're my friends like i've been like hustling and like trying to do like a lot of creative stuff like a web series and like writing and like i have a book deal and like all this stuff and i think i realized like how much i just needed to sit and enjoy like quiet moments with my friends and like just have Mm -hmm. fun and be stupid and like play board games and like make poppers jokes you know what i mean like (laughs) it just like I don't know. It just like kind of switched some priorities for me. And I was going to talk about this later for like the beef part or whatever, but like, I think 
when you're hustling so much, there's like a certain impatience that comes with that. And like a certain like eagerness to transform and an eagerness to like hit the next thing. And it's like very, very ADHD brain. And I have ADHD like, and the antidote and like to, to this incident, not that there's like one clean one is just to be very patient with yourself. And Mm -hmm. what that means is like knowing that some days you're going to be fucked up and out of sorts and kind of resisting the urge of like wellness culture to just like immediately remedy it and be like, Oh, I'm going to get a massage. Like I feel bad. Therefore I'm going to like have like a bath, like not everything can be fixed like that. And, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I feel like wellness culture is kind of like this way to avoid discomfort And it's like, sometimes you just have to be uncomfortable and you just have to like sit with that shitty feeling and you have to cancel drag gigs and you have to cancel on your friends because you just want to stay home and watch Parks and Rec, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I'm learning over the course of my healing journey. And I mean, I I can totally relate to that. Um, Not comparing, not trauma, what does it call it? Trauma dumping or trauma comparing. But, you know, I had to have this pretty traumatic incident that happened in 2020. Um, I mean, I won't get into it, but I thought the healing journey was like a straight journey. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to pay for a therapist and he's going to fix it. <laughs> he's going to yeah. help me find the tools to fix it. And all I need are the tools. Then like, okay, I feel less scared all the time. I'm just going to take a break from therapy and I'm healed. And then last year happened. Last year was also one of those bad years for me. And then I got back into therapy and I would have a good days and bad days. And I just had like three months of good days and I had one bad day and I'm like, Oh, this is just, this is never going to end. I got into this doom feeling and I did realize in some of my therapy sessions, I would try to intellectualize my feelings. Yeah. And my, my my therapist is like, why don't you just stop, stop, just feel your feelings, just feel it. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Feel it. Like, we're not going to do anything feeling it. It's like, just feel it. (laughs) And when I hear you talk about patience, that really resonated with me. Cause then I know some days I, I do have those nights sometimes. And yeah. now I just have a little bit more acceptance of acceptance of it than just like, Oh, I just immediately go to this shame. Like you're never going to get healed. You're doing your healing wrong, but yeah. I've come to accept that it's part of the journey. Wow. That's really relatable. <laughs> I've like experienced <laughs> exactly that. Like the intellectualization of your feelings and like psycho, like, I don't know, as like someone who went through like clinical training and social work school, like I understand that like psychoeducation is like, can be healing and like learning about a condition you have or learning about PTSD or complex PTSD. Like you can say like, Oh, like point to this pattern and say like, you know, I'm experiencing the same pattern and I feel a resonance with that. I feel understood. And at the same time, if you overutilize it, it can be a defense mechanism. It can be a way for you to continue avoiding it and not going through it or feeling your feelings. Like don't just said, Um, but yeah, like it sounds like a downer, but it's really not. It's just like when you go through something shitty and you experience PTSD syndrome or like, sorry, PTSD symptoms, like sometimes it's just going to feel shitty and you can't bubble bath or massage your way out of that. And you shouldn't Mm -hmm. try. Like sometimes you can distract and it's great. And other times you just need to sit with it and be like, fuck, this sucks. Like, I think we grew up on so much television, American television and sitcoms, where everything wraps up cleanly by the end of the episode. Yes. I think that's really baked into our psyches, that they're not story arcs of trauma that happen in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I was just kind of thinking of some more thing, like... And I think this happened with a lot of the journalists who tried to interview me too, is they're just like, but like, give us some hope now. Like, now what? Like, is this a call to action? I'm just like, I don't, bitch. Like, I don't want to be fucking Xena Warrior Princess right now. Like, I want to nap. Like, can you leave me alone? Like, I'm not trying to be like a revolutionary. Like, I literally just wanted to read a book, you know? Like, yeah, it's yeah. like Roxy being like, oh, like, I was left at the bus stop, but then I found drag and now everything's <laughs> better. And it's just like, nothing is that simple, bitch. Like, Sorry, I feel like you were going to say something. And don't eliminate about... me. Also, the subtext of that yeah. was don't eliminate me. Too. <laughs> yeah, by the way. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? We we talked to our friend Kevin um, in one of the prior episodes 
And I think he had also just decided, and he he had been the face of the monkeypox breakout that. last year, and it had been a while since he talked about it. And I think he also decided that was probably the last time he was going to do that. Um, yeah. in a public venue. Sounds like we have a track record of bringing up past trauma in people. I know, so I'm <laughs> no. sorry. Also, we're going to scratch that uh, question that we had about what's your call to action now. <laughs> oh my God. Question. A year call later, it. what do you hope this teaches all of us? Okay, we're going to skip that question. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. All right, we're going to do um, new topic. Um, new topic. Chris, I was like, as Chris likes to yell, but he just yelled it. By State Softer, new topic. We ask everyone this, all our guests who get on the podcast. So what's the moment you first felt Gaijin? Gaijin! I love this question, and I actually hadn't thought of it before. Okay, I think I know. Wait, Belle, you're from, like, South Bay, right? No, I'm from SoCal. Oh, that's right. Okay. But, Chris, I know you're from SF. Um, mm-hmm. I'm from San Francisco. We're so both I, natives. Um, so I went to APG in any middle school, which is in the avenues. It's, like, a very Chinese school. And I was, like... What's it? What's APG? Sep- <laughs> APG. APG and any. Oh, I thought you were making an APG oh. joke, but this is actually getting oh. there. So, oh, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was an APG school. Let's be real. So, um, it was very Chinese and, you know, I was in sixth and seventh grade. I came out really early in seventh grade and in sixth grade, Dang. I was like, ex- I, was, I was exploring like fashion stuff. And so like, I just got into like punk rock stuff because it was like the height of Blink-182 and all that. But I also like was blending in a little bit of like Asian baby girl stuff. And so Mm. I did this thing with my, like I would watch all of those ABGs walk through the hallways and like they were the hot girls at the school. And so they had like, they already had like cartilage piercings with like (laughs) the little diamonds, like the cubic zirconium. And (laughs) they had the like low rise jeans and they had those big puffy sneakers. That's it. And like the S and the San Francisco like jackets, right? And like that was the look. That was a fucking look. And so uh, I started to emulate it. And so I started to do this thing to my shoes where they would puff up the shoes. So like you'd get really long socks. Wait, I'll just show you. I need a sock. <laughs> and so my 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 hand is my foot, right? And so they take a really long sock like this, and like this is my ankle. And they mm-hmm. go like that to make ankle so socks. they could like, yeah, to make them ankle socks, but also so it would puff up the top of their shoes, the tongue of the oh, shoe. Oh okay. yes, to make them like you know cute what I'm and talking big. about. Yes, yes. Yeah, so it made it look all big and puffy. Yeah, it's puffy, but then your your foot doesn't come out of it. It's still snug. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's snug yes. and puffy. And so I started to do that and I would walk around and I was like, I'm the fucking shit. I'm the fucking shit. And I was in like social studies class and I was like sitting on the ledge of like a window, like what's up, what's up? And the ABG girl came over and she was just like, why are you doing that? Like, that's only what girls do. And I was like, oh, and then I realized I was a gay BG. That's me. That's who I was. Is that why you asked me if I'm from the South Bay? Just because I gave you gay BG vibes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted. I just wanted to know. <laughs> I'm just missing the gold chain with the big Buddha on it, with the big oh J God, Buddha. Yes. On it. It's all I'm missing. And then it's, you know you, you talked about like how you learned more about it in college, and then you became the winner of the Mister Hyphen pageant. I guess a little background. What's Mister Hyphen? Yeah, so Hyphen Magazine is an Asian American arts and culture magazine. Um, I know that there's like some contention with what was it called? Noodles. Wasn't there like another magazine that like Buka was a part of called Noodles, like out of Cal? Something no, like that's that. My and magazine, new magazine. Oh my God, you were my competition. So, I gave your magazine advice and then you copied it. <laughs> okay, well, this is exactly the contention I'm talking about. Number one, it's not my magazine. I was just chosen, but. I know that, like, people are like, well, this came first, that came first. Like, I don't fucking know. Like, it's just, like, Asian American arts and culture. Um, And they did this pageant every year to celebrate Asian American men giving back to their communities. And so they had, it was called the Mr. Hyphen pageant. Um, And there would usually be five contestants. And they were all representing a nonprofit that served the Asian American community. And the winner would get $1,000 for the nonprofit, which at the time when I was like 20, I was like, oh my God, that's so much money. So like I represented the Center for Asian American Media because I was helping them with a film festival. Um, I did a drag performance and I won in 2010. Um, And it was my first taste of fame. (laughs) Um, And I loved the attention. (laughs) 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 So, So yeah. So I got that. Um, I talked on NPR about it. I did a couple public speaking things. I did a drag performance at Cam, which is where I met Doncha mm-hmm. and her dolphin eyebrows. So I, I think the the magazine title comes from like you know it's that old like oh, right. um, Asian yeah. American studies speak like oh I'm Asian dash right. American and living across you know, multiple identities, being bicultural. What other identities do you live in? Like we've talked about identifying as a cub or a bear. Yeah. What's what's navigating that like? It's a lot. I feel like, oh, that's like one of the other reasons why I chose Panda Dulce too, because I feel like I, I'm really into bears and generally I don't find a lot of like Asian American bears, like most of the Asian Americans I run into are like kind of thin. And so like people have like argued with me like, oh, you don't date Asian guys, but it's not true. It's just that like nobody's thick, nobody's fat. So like (laughs) when I go to these bear events, it's like mostly like white and Latino dudes. And like they're all kind of like catering to and pedestalizing pedestalizing this like white body type. And even like I checked, I checked Wikipedia. When you look at bear culture on Wikipedia, it says like the bear body type mostly favors white bodies. And I'm just like, there you go. But mm. I think as such, and like there's definitely parallels with just being Asian in general and like dating outside of Asians, like it, we run into this like kind of scarcity thing where it's like people, you're not even going to blip their radar because of your race. And like, they've already like dismissed you like as like racially castrated and like therefore unsexy because you're Asian or you run into bears who are like hyper fixated on your Asianness or like mm-hmm. assuming that you're uncut and like, they're like, Oh, your ass must be like really clean. Wow. Wait, maybe I shouldn't say that. Cause I'm like all drag story. Hour. Okay. <laughs> let's just like, let's just not say that part. Um, it's what they say. It is what they say. And like, they have a bunch of like, reductive like racial attributes that they just like throw on you and project on you and they're like you're gonna be submissive you're gonna be a bottom you're gonna be like quiet you're just gonna take and so like that type usually has like a very big overlap with like assholes who like to hear their own voice when i'm really talking shit right now so like it can be tough dating and like immediately trying to suss out like are you one of those people or do you actually see me as an individual 
Um, that being said, I've met a lot of great bears. Um, and there are a lot of people who are very intimately aware of this dynamic and who actively avoid it and like cultivate friend circles that are anti that as well. Wow. Telling shading assholes who like the sound of their own voice to two podcasters. Very bold move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, but I really connect with what you're saying because there's, you know, once in a while you get that like grinder message, bet you have a smooth hole. (laughs) (laughs) But what if I do? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so, so Panda, I mean, I think a lot of us know it, but it's just, for clarity, it's like an Asian panda. It's an Asian bear, an Asian cub. Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. Okay. So I think in my 20s, I was like really wanting to be like like validated on the apps, which is kind of like a losing game because the apps are just like, it's like the upside Child. down from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like such a cold place for anyone. But I was at this bear event alone and I was just like not having a great time. And then I went to the bartender and I like got a drink and he was like, here you go, panda. And I was like, panda. Oh, like that's how I fit in this. Like I'm an Asian bear. And you know, it's kind of like a mm-hmm. double-edged thing of like, oh, you're like only saying me for my race. But I was also like, I feel seen. I'm like this, you know? Have you um ever been to Asia, like the queer scene in Asia before? Okay, I've been to Asia, but aside from like one night in Hong Kong with my friends, like I haven't partied there. And I really want to go to Taiwan and I want to go to even Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say, Tokyo and tai- Taipei have a huge, like, Asian bear culture going on. Yeah, dude. And specific clubs, that. yeah. Specific and what's places. fascinating, the, the story is flipped. They're very dismissive of, like, the twinks and everything. You're, you're the outsider. Whoa. I'm the outsider. Yeah. That's me calling myself Whoa. a twink, but I'm not. <laughs> mm, you're a twink now. Well, mm-hmm. I respect whatever you would identify with. <laughs> You're really, you're really breaking the rules, and I love that. I love that about you. <laughs> I don't know if you go to parties as a sober queen, Not really. but but yeah, it's notorious at like the Asian circuit parties that there's always a section for the pandas, and they always get into this long line together, holding each other's shoulders, or like. But just one single, one single file yeah. line. Imagine a conga line, but they're not dancing and moving. They're just together, and they block everyone. They sway they back and care. forth in unison to like Ariana Grande or something. The circuit remix, and it's literally what? like fifty to seventy people long. Like once it starts. <gasps> You're not getting to the other side of the dance floor. And if you try to go between them, they give you the dirtiest look. And I'm you like, don't right. mess with them. They push you aside. And <gasps> we started calling it the Great Wall of China the first time we saw it. <laughs> oh my God. I you can say that. Go. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Will y'all take me? Please take me. Yeah. I, I think so. Taipei and Tokyo. I think maybe even Thailand. Yeah, I can see it in Thailand too. So one project I do want to talk about that you've kind of been developing and working on is called Chosen Fam. Um, what inspired you to create a series, and do you have a, a any fun cameos um, that appear in the mo- in the in the movie, or is it a web series? Oh, it's a web series. It's a four episode in web, web series. the web series. Um, yeah. So I mentioned before that like I grew up playing punk music and bands, going on tour, being stinky, eating vegan food. Um, And I think one of the things that's always struck me about like the queer scenes is that it's very, it can be very segregated. Like Mm -hmm. I went to a women's college and like most of my friends coming out of college were women. And whenever I went to like queer male spaces and like hookup events, it was just like all dudes. Um, And so it was like really hard for me to relate at first. And I really wanted to have a social circle that kind of like resembled what I, what I had growing up. And so I made chosen fam and it's about this indie rock band. That's all queer and trans people of color. And they're coming to notoriety locally while San Francisco is dramatically changing around them due to tech. Um, And so it's like partially an homage to how I grew up. It's partially an homage to like the DIY punk communities that helped me come of age and also it's like wanting more like women and like men and 
genderqueer people to like all be in the same spaces at once. Cause I feel like it's just very, it's, yeah, it's just very gender segregated. It's like, I can go to an event with my lesbian friends, but then people will treat me weirdly because like they see me as a dude. And when mm-hmm. a lot of my like queer femme friends come to like drag shows, like they sometimes feel out of place. And so I just want everyone mm-hmm. to like come together and like be together. Is like the main thrust of it. Yeah. I heard from Chris, you you also were inspired because you thought like looking on HBO was shit. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, it's everything I expected it to be. And Mm. I think I made Chosen Fan because I wanted to create something that I wanted looking to be, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But with that said, like, I really, really wanted to get into film. And I applied mm-hmm. for all these film schools. I applied to like UCS, UCLA, USC, and like I didn't get into any of them, which is a blessing. Because instead, like I took all of the funding that I'd saved up, and I just like made this this series. And I was like, I'm just going to learn how to make films this way. And that's how I did it. And like literally, just like grabbed don't you? I was like, Can you can you act in this right? <laughs> and she came. Oh, so and that's she was our like, cameo. Yeah, that's my plug. If uh, whenever it comes out, look for me. I play an extra as an outgoing drunk party guest. Looks like you revived the role this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, tell us about that, don't you? You can revive this role regularly. <laughs> uh, I'm not acting. <laughs> <laughs> this is real life, y'all. So, like, you've been working on that. Um, you know, that's in progress. But what else are you devising? So. I also got a book deal with HarperCollins mm-hmm. to write um, a two-part middle grade novel. So middle grade is like chapter books, like Holes by Lewis Sacker or like how Harry Potter started. And it's about a Chinese-American drag, or it's about a Chinese-American basketball player in Georgia who discovers pageants and becomes a drag queen. Um, <laughs> oh my God. That's so cool. Yeah. That sounds amazing. So, the cultures are going to have a fucking fit over that, but let them. And it's funny because Kim Chi, the drag queen, recently announced that she also got a two-book yeah, deal. I saw that. To publish a middle-grade mm-hmm. books about a Korean-American, a queer Korean-American who wants to save her local library. And so mm-hmm. they're coming out in the same year. And so I'm wondering, Kim Chi, if you're listening, if we could do some like signings together or something cute, maybe all the Rice Rockets could come. It's in the zeitgeist. It's out in the world. There's a lot of queer Asian American content coming for the little ones. Okay, before we wrap the episode, it's time for a new-ish segment, I guess, um, called Beef or Be Real. It's how it works. Um, Each of us is going to choose to share one of the following stories based on a beef or be real. So the first choice is what you've heard on uh, most of the episodes is the be real segment. So the classic um, where you can choose to be real and talk about whatever is on your mind, heart or booty hole. So that's the be real. The other choice, the second choice is beef. So this is inspired by our last episode. And when you choose beef, you're choosing violence. So you're choosing to rant about any topic that you have beef with right now. So, Chris, why don't you start? Do you want to be real or do you want to beef? I'm still feeling fresh from last week's beef. I was like, oh, my God. After we wrapped the episode, I was like, oh, my God, I have so many more things to say about people. Uh, So (laughs) I choose beef. Uh, My beef lately is with all these rich tech execs lately. Everyone's hearing the news about layoffs. And uh, everyone knows I was recently laid off. And my ex-company did another layoff yesterday while announcing a return to office. And I heard through the gossip circles that one of the execs whose salary is $30 million said, (laughs) uh, you know, everyone's got to come back to the office. Even I'm coming back to the office. I'm renting another apartment in San Francisco. Another. Because they are making $30 million. Uh, I don't think she... Um, did what she was intending to do there. I think she was trying to have her own be real moment. 
but I don't think she connects <laughs> with people properly. She and a whole slew of other rich capitalists are just exploiting the rest of humanity, you know, all, all our labor, and are so disconnected from the fact that they aren't paying most people enough to even live in their first home, and mm-hmm. let alone their second, third, or fifth. Uh, so I don't even work there anymore, but it speaks to a larger issue. Clearly, everyone can tell I'm still unemployed and mad about it, and it's getting to me this lack of income and it's starting to worry me. And it's, I think it's kind of maybe uh, like going back to how, when I figured out, Oh, that free lunch at school, that was not because I was cool. It was because we didn't have, our family didn't have the means to pay for lunch. And that's when I first started to understand like, Oh, like food doesn't come easily. And, and I think that plays into my fear right now. And so I guess that's a a little bit of both a beef and a be real in that struggling as a kid before, I'm starting to feel that now. And so I can say that as fuck these execs, eat the rich, occupy Wall Street, down with the church and eat your vegetables. Uh, What about you, Bao? Do you choose beef or be real? Mm, Well, first I choose to respond to your beef. Oh, okay. Um, I'm... I'm sure everything you're... No, that just sounds really bad. I mean, everything you're going through is real to you. You can be condescending. I know you well enough. Not condescending. I'm going to point out that you were a tech employee making six figures before. It's not like living in San Francisco was that out of reach for you. Like, Because yeah. I, 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 we, I have to recognize our privilege as people who used to work at tech companies. Yeah. I do right? recognize that privilege. And I, I, I still feel lucky and fortunate to have um, had like, you know, be able to live here and have like this like great time. You wouldn't think um, um, I'm going like having a hard time income wise with all the partying and the traveling, but. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Did you uh, just spend a a month in Asia? (laughs) Yeah. But uh, just to do a light defending of myself, I was only six figures only in the last few months. Uh, I that's part of why I was mad at this company. I poured mm-hmm. like a lot of my heart and soul into these companies. It's not just about the payments, it's about the recognition and everyone seeing that, you know, maybe we all knew it in the back of our heads before, but it's being made much more clearly that they don't care to recognize or pay um, any of these people. They're just looking to pocket it all themselves. The, the this whole thing of oh your fa- your work is your family no it sure fucking ain't fuck that no yeah I've we're not in that. it together you're in it for yourself <laughs> yes and so I I mean yeah. my might be real is also going to be work related mm-hmm. I think I decided a long time ago that once you start working for a company like that a private company they're trying to get whatever they can out of you so you got to try to get whatever you can out of them. And when they're, they're not loyal to you, so don't be loyal to them. No one's looking at you from the senior levels and saying, we're going to keep that person forever. Like, no, this, this is not forever. But you take whatever you can, squeeze whatever you can out of the company because so the company is doing the same to you. And my be real is kind of work-related in that, like, I think I'm ready to go back to work. And I'm going to start looking for work soon. But my be real more of, is like, for some reason, I'm having a lot of like, questions about what I'm going to do with this podcast, which is so important to me. Mm. Like, I'm wondering if we get, get back to work, like, will I have time for it? And like, could I still be honest on here? I think I'm realizing that a lot of people listen to this podcast that I don't know when I meet those people out and they introduce themselves and they kind of ask about the content on the podcast. It just feels strange for me. Someone's like, so how's your mom? Or I loved your story about that blowjob in the Pegasus. And I was just like, for some reason, I'm realizing now when we recorded those episodes, I only thought like our friends would listen to it and felt safe sharing in that like idea. And now that other people are walking up to me saying these things, I don't feel safe anymore for some reason. Or like, I feel like. I think that makes sense. You feel like your voice is like a lot more amplified than you thought it was. It was like Mm -hmm. an intimate whispered secret between friends. And now it's like being yelled from the rooftops maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, it feels weird meeting someone where they know so much about me and mm-hmm. I don't know about them. Um, 
but then going out back to work, kind of like, what will my future coworkers think if they find the podcast? Like, if I manage a mm-hmm. team, what it's like? Yeah, my boss like gives blowjobs in the dark room every weekend. Um, and so I think where I am on this is that I think this podcast will be shitty if we're not honest or open and vulnerable. But I think I'm going to make sure. I talked to my therapist about this. Like, I'm going to make sure I feel like I'm owning the story. I can talk about it in an ownable way versus like sharing something that I'm kind of going through processing at the moment, which I thought was going to be how we would approach this podcast. And I think I'm inspired by this other podcast, also two Asian people. And, you know, they, they do a kind of be real moment. And they said like, well, how's your week going? And this guy was like, I had a breakthrough in therapy and it was really profound, but you know, I'm just going to choose not to share it. I'm just not ready to share it. And even though we talk about things like that here, I'm just not ready. And then they're just like, yeah, normalize talking about things when you're ready. And so I think where I'm going to land on this is like, I would love to continue this podcast. I hope we have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. But in the sharing of it, I think I'm going to be a little bit more intentional, but it's still going to be honest. I mean, we've come through plenty of things that you can, you have many stories to share <laughs> that aren't like ones that you have are uncomfortable with. So I'm realizing there's a different level of comfort now about that. Yeah, when um, I got we, that message on Grinder asking me how my hemorrhoids were, I was like, oh, <laughs> did I really tell that story? <laughs> Wild. Yep, and it's on TikTok and the reels. <laughs> um, but we're going to save the best for last. Panda, do you want to be real or do you want to beef? I think I also want to be real. Um yeah, I think I also have something about work too, but not like day job work. I recently, so I guess ever since I got out of grad school, I've been like, I really want to have a creative career. And like at one point, I want to not have a day job and just like be able to make films or write and do drag or ideally all three. And so I've been like pounding the pavement ever since, like in pursuit of that vision. And I think in the past year, like since the incident, I've like felt like something was missing and I didn't know what. And I recently went to my friend's wedding and she and her partner had like a traditional Ethiopian wedding. It was really beautiful. There was great food. And like, I just went alone. And so I was watching a lot of people interact and like, be like, I haven't seen you in so long, da, da, da. And like hugging and embracing and like all these friends I had from college. And when they gave their vows to each other, um, the husband was like, Devin, like, I don't, I don't know what I can promise you. Cause I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but what I can say is I can always promise to be silly and laugh and have fun with you. Cause the older we get, like the fewer these moments are. And like something about that was like really profound and it's simplicity to me. And I was like, I really want to connect with my friends and I want to like, have more time where I just don't do anything and like sit in the park and like make hemorrhoid jokes or tell hemorrhoid stories and just like, you know what I mean? Like, and like I spent so much of my free time, like working on stuff that I think that's like, that was the missing piece. And so like I was a finalist for this like drag laureate thing that's happening in SF. It's like the first position of its kind. It's like helping the mayor with like queer and trans causes and events and campaigns. And they're like about to announce the results. And I told them that I wanted to withdraw from it, which is like a big deal for me. But mm-hmm. I think it's like the first step in a journey for me to just like kind of enjoy life more. Like I went to Mexico mm-hmm. city too. And I went to this place called Tolentongo. It was amazing. My partner and I went and it was like these caves, these thermal caves that have waterfalls in them. And you have to like swim against the current and you go into these like gorgeous caved waterfalls and you like look up at the ceiling and there are all these bats flying around. And it was just like such a like national geographic, like a life changing experience that I'm not going to forget. And I was like, I want to do more shit like that. Like I want to go to Taipei pride and I want to like see the Eagle Tokyo and I want to like, I don't know, just do bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I relate to that because I, I left my job. I, I was up for another role. Right. And I was like, you know what? Something just doesn't feel right. And I'm like the society and LinkedIn will tell you that's the right move to keep going. But yeah. something my body just said I needed a break. And then traveling, like I think, um, well, Chris and I have both been to Cambodia this year. Like going to see a yeah. and going to a place like Cambodia, you feel so close to life in a society that doesn't isn't on like Instagram all the time. 
Yeah. You feel just so much closer to life and realize like this going to see him reap has been so much more valuable than going to the white party Bangkok. <laughs> when, I list, when I rank the great things that happened on the Asia trip, probably white party Bangkok's on the bottom and maybe I should stop doing that. So I guess we should wrap things up. You know, that was, I'm so happy that you came on and shared so many of these stories with us. Cause you know, I know that not all of them were easy to tell, but I'm also very happy that you're my wonderful drag sister. So want to thank you, Panda Dulce, for talking to us tonight. Thank you, Poppers Dulce. <laughs> AKA Poppers. And we're really excited for the work you're working on um, that's coming out. But take your time. No one's pressuring you to, to uh, meet a deadline. Well, I guess, I guess your publisher might. But my friends <laughs> are writers and they've pushed their deadlines off for a, for a couple of years so remember, know that you can do that and oh, if people guess. want to follow your work where can they find you on social media panda i'm mostly on instagram so it's just panda dulce on instagram and um i have a website panda dulce.com oh she fancy that's how i get all the gigs <laughs> Oh, Squarespace. Um, and you can follow us at Literally Gaysians on TikTok and Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Bow Bow Bowser. How about you, Chris? Um, meet me south of market.gif. Meet like the uh, stuff you eat. And we'll be back with another episode and a slight update to the schedule in a couple of weeks. And we'll tell you about it then. But until then, bye-bye. See you next time. Bye. Poppers. Poppers still say. <laughs> You ran. Lightheaded. Poppers. Lightheaded. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.